Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host, and thank you for uh, tuning in with us. It's a pleasure to open the Bible again today and uh, to have you also part of this discussion. I'm privileged to welcome today a um, good number on our panel, and uh, I will start today with Marek. Thank you for joining us, Marek. Pleasure. It's good to have with us also Will. Great to be here. Thank you, Nick. Joe, good to have you join again today. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Brenton? An exciting subject we're studying today, Nick. Looking forward to it. Thank you for joining us. Len, nice to have you with us also. Thank you, Nick. And hello, listeners. And Lija? Thank you. I feel very privileged. And Ken, it's good to have you with us and uh, preparing this uh, Bible study, facilitating... I would like to welcome you to the program. Thank you very much, Nick. It's great to be here today. Really looking forward to it. Now, we are um, discussing a number of topics, and so far we talked about the, how important it is to understand education from the right sources, to say so. And we talked about uh, how important is uh, education right from the Garden of Eden and how important is family in the education process. The law also, we talked about the law as a teacher, and uh, the eyes of the Lord um, and the biblical worldview. And today, it's a wonderful uh, privilege to talk about Jesus as the master teacher. And I would like you, Ken, to take us through, please. Thank you, Nick. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this week's Bible study, Jesus, the master teacher, so what does the word teacher mean? According to most dictionaries, it means a person who instructs or trains others. I remember when I left school, I wanted to be a motor mechanic, and so I ended up in a very large dealership. This particular dealership was the largest in Ireland and serviced many makes of cars like Rover, Morris, AMG, Austin, plus many more. However, I was assigned to the Renault division, which at that time was Ireland's largest, biggest selling car. I was very keen to learn, and after some time helping many mechanics, was given over to one person in particular who I worked with for the next five years. We worked together very well, and he taught me how to do many things on cars. However, being very interested in my job and willing to learn, I was working on my own many years before I had finished my apprenticeship. But if I got stuck in something, I could always go and ask my teacher for help. Ellen, my teacher, was a very good instructor, always willing to let me try new things as he watched or instructed, but did not get angry when I made a mistake, as we all do. As you all know today, there are teachers for about everything. But we're going to look at the greatest teacher of all time, Jesus, the master teacher. But before we start today, I'm going to ask Lynn to open with the word of prayer, as it is so important to seek God's Holy Spirit before we look into his word. Lynn? My dear Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to share with our listeners today more from your word, the Holy Bible. We pray that uh, as your representatives that we speak for you, 
We also pray that we as a panel will be guided by the Holy Spirit and also our listeners as they hear, might they commit themselves to you. So we ask your blessings on us and our listeners today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lynn. All of us today have knowledge and skills that someone taught us. We came into this world as babies, and as we grew, our parents first, then teachers, then others, taught us things we needed to know, not only to survive, but to earn a living. But there was one teacher that showed us more than anyone else. He was, of course, Jesus, the master teacher. Will, would you like to kick off this morning with the first reading? Yes, let me read um, Hebrews uh, 1, verses 1 to 4, if I may. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in many ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven, and so he became as much superior to the angels as the name that he has inherited is superior to theirs. It's a long text, but basically, Ken, what it's saying that Jesus as the master teacher, has tried to communicate right throughout human history lessons, life lessons, and pointing them to God. And um, he spoke through answer to the ancestors through prophets, but in these last days he has revealed himself magnificently in the person of his son, the master teacher. It's easy to gain the impression that this was by far the most superior form of revelation that God made to us as as humanity, far superior than that of prophecy, uh, of nature. This was a revelation coming from his own very son. Well, lots of information here. Alan, what are some of the things we can learn from this passage that Will has just spoken? Well, one thing is the fact that um, God has not left us ignorant of who he is and what he's like. And... uh, He's given us plenty of information through the prophets, but as Merrick has just said, particularly through Jesus. You know, some people get the idea that Jesus is inferior to the Father simply by the fact that he is called the Son of God. But Jesus is not inferior in any way, shape or form because he is just as important as the Father. It's just that he took on humanity in order to save lost mankind. And therefore, I think there's a tendency to think that he's inferior, but he's not. Mm, I like that point, Len. Uh, some, uh, some denominations will even teach that uh, Jesus was created, a created being. <laughs> this just cannot be, when we look at these passages here, it's it's so uh, very clear that through him the whole universe was created. Uh, so many biblical passages talk of the pre-existence of, of, of Jesus Christ, uh, link Jesus Christ as the creator 
of uh, of the heavens of the universe uh it there's just no implication at all that he was a created being um so i i do take your point and i i agree with it hen is a chronol i believe even though it's not stated um explicitly it's implied in these verses that will is read there's a chronological timeline here god who in the past spoke to us via the uh, prophets etc etc it seems to me that when jesus came i think we all know from reading the book of galatians that it says in due time christ came born as a woman he came according to a divine timetable what's important i think in this is that when christ came the darkness the spiritual darkness in the world was at its worst therefore according to the degree of darkness it was necessary to send the complete light and i believe christ came at exactly the right time and he he dispelled the darkness by demonstrating who god is the term that will read the exact representation is very important i think um the greek word for it is um i've got it down here morphe um if you study that particular uh, point you will find that um jesus came to exactly reveal what the father was like so dark was the world that even the prophets as uh, marek said even the prophets and their revelations from god were not sufficient it was necessary for god himself in the form of a human being to come and reveal the complete light of who god the father was to the world i'm aware of the fact that uh, even though god has tried to speak to ancestors or throughout history through the prophets and uh, finally very well through his son i'm aware of a text in romans chapter 1 which says that uh, since what may be known about god is plain because god has made it plain to them speaking about the human race here verse 20 of uh, romans 1 says for since the creation of the world god's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made creation you see so that people are without excuse and so i'd like to say that the master teacher is so keen to teach humanity about god that even besides the the example of jesus and the the um the visions and dreams of prophets there is enough in nature to give us a clear manifestation of the goodness of god true so why did god send his son to earth then would you like to look at that one yes well I think there are four reasons four things number 1 he wanted to show the world what he was like in other words Jesus came to demonstrate the nature of God his goodness his mercy and that sort of thing number 2 he came to save lost humanity from our sins number 3 He also came to demonstrate how to live. Jesus was an example of how human beings should live. And then there's another one which I'm uh which was mentioned a little bit before by Brenton. He came to dispel darkness. 
You know, according to my reading of um, history, world history, and I studied in particular English history, it was during the Protestant Reformation when people were enlightened. There were many more inventions and discoveries made during that period of time than prior. And it seems that um, with the revelation of the nature of God and the truth of the scriptures, that people began to come out of their uh, shell of superstition and unbelief, which existed up until that time. So I'd just like to repeat those things. Jesus came to demonstrate what God is like. He came to save people from their sins. He came to demonstrate how to live, and he came to dispel darkness. It might be worthwhile pointing out there that uh, the darkness we're talking about is, of course, spiritual darkness. It wasn't darkness in the world as such, but there was a, uh, a thirst for the word of God which was missing. Do you wanted to add something? Just in the point of, um, Lynn, you mentioned that Jesus came to demonstrate the nature of God, the character of God. I think it's important that we keep in mind the times that he came, you know, how we had the gods, the deities of the day had to be placated. Um, they had tendencies that were to that were involved in their own exploits and they really weren't interested in what humans were doing. Um, so this was a this was a complete quantum shift in you know, here we have a God that's personified in Christ who is loving and we, we're going to I guess explore some of this as we go through the lesson. But this was in direct contrast to what the gods were like, if you like that people worshipped in that time. It was a revelation. You know, going back to, you know, that in Hebrews where it says the sun is the radiance of God's glory. In the Jewish Bible, that word, God's glory, I'm not sure what it is in the Greek, but it's Shekinah. It's Shekinah in the Jewish Bible. Mm. And we know what that is. You know, that's amazing. That was the presence of God that hovered above the Ark of the Covenant. And it's, you know, led... Israelites throughout their journeys. So, yeah, it, it's it's quite amazing, isn't it? Certainly is. Nick, you wanted to add something? Yeah, I just wanted to continue what Joe was just saying, that uh, the darkness, you know, of um, humankind uh, represented during this time of history. It's interesting because we may know from the Bible when, um, you know, God decided to destroy the whole world, you know, we know about the antediluvians and how um, God says that the heart of man was only towards evil. But interesting here, because always in the history, God had people who represented himself. But in this period of time, even his own chosen people, talking here about Israel, they were misrepresenting God in many aspects. And uh, probably the spiritual darkness was at the highest level when Jesus came on this earth and revealed himself, revealed the Father through everything what he was doing. It's interesting because it wasn't for a lack of revelation in the scriptures about the coming of Christ. 
the darkness was a lack of acceptance of of that revelation. It, it's amazing when Herod consults with the uh, spiritual leaders of the time, the priests, as to where and when the Messiah would be born. They all knew. They told Herod he would be born in Bethlehem, and uh, and that the time was already come. But uh, but yet they did not embrace that information. For them, they totally rejected the, uh, the the revelation of the scriptures and ignored it completely. And in that sense, you know, we can be in possession of the truth. We can be in possession of all the revelations that we have in the scriptures. But at the same time, we can totally ignore and not react, not respond to them, and live in the same kind of darkness that people lived in at the time of Christ. Very good point. Brenton, you wanted to add something? Yes, very quickly, uh, Ken. Uh, just adding to what Marek has said, the reason why the priests and rulers didn't um, accept Christ on that occasion is they could not believe that um, God would bypass them as the spiritual leaders of the nation to reveal himself to wise men from another country and also to shepherds who were the lowest of the socio-economic uh, society of their day. That's where the process began of them rejecting him. Because he didn't come to them first, their pride was offended, their spiritual uh, perceptions were blunted, and um, they couldn't believe that he would go to humble shepherds and people from another country first. So that began the process, unfortunately, that ended with Christ's crucifixion. That's a very good point, Brenton. Now, Jesus made a very bold statement to Philip and other disciples in John chapter 14 and verse 9 to 10. Brenton, you're going to explain that one as well to us? Yes, Ken, I'll, I'll do it as quickly as I can. Um, verse 9 and 10, let me read it. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Chapter 14 of John is an interesting one because it actually starts out with location. I go to prepare a place for you. The first half a dozen verses deal with the fact that the disciples are groping to find out the location that Christ is talking about. He talks about um, the way you know I'm going away and where I'm going you know and the way you know. Thomas says we don't know the way. And then Jesus identifies himself as the way. And that then leads to this statement, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father, when Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. Think back over Christ's earthly life, over his teaching ministry, his parables, his miracles, his blessing of the children, his care for those who were not of the Jewish faith, his compassion and his tenderness. He's really saying all of those characteristics are embodied in my Father. So if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, what further or greater revelation can I give you? However, he does say this. I've always wondered, uh, Ken, about this particular comment. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Christ said to the priests and rulers, you don't know me or my Father. 
what he's saying to Philip and the other disciples here is, I believe what I am about to do in dying for the sins of the world, you will really see the Father. Because the Father has given me as the uh, propitiation, as the sacrifice, um, as the substitute, the offering, the sin offering for the world. And I think he was trying to prepare their minds for the fact that very shortly they were going to see him hanging on the cross. Then they would understand after that, certainly by the day of Pentecost, um, the great love of God for the human race in sending Christ. And they would then know the Father because they would know that the Father had sent the Son. I think the primary reason of God for sending his Son, his only begotten Son on this earth, is to show the people into the person as human, to show his own glory, because people could not see God. So God planned beforehand to show his radiance of the glory of God, which says in Hebrew 1 verse 3. And also Jesus is coming on earth to show the exact imprint of God's nature and um, the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God, and uh, also the light of knowledge so the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, which it says in Second Corinthians four six, uh, because in uh, in John fourteen nine it says, "Whoever has seen Jesus has seen the Father." There is a fairly common concept that God the Father is somewhat austere and not very friendly, and Jesus came to reveal that God is full of grace and mercy. Now, I don't know if you recall, but um, Moses wanted to see God and up on the mountain, and it says, and I can't remember the reference, I think it's Exodus 31, but I just don't remember exactly. So Moses made this request, and the Lord caused his goodness to pass in front of Moses, and he proclaimed his name. He said, the Lord, the Lord, full of grace and mercy. So the picture that God the Father is austere and stern and not very friendly and ready to zap anybody if they do something wrong is a wrong picture. Jesus came to give us the right picture of the nature of God. That's a good point, Len, and it must have been uh, an amazing moment for Moses to witness that and feel the presence of God. Uh, Refilling the Vather, John the Baptist made a profound statement in John chapter 1, verse 14, 18. Mark, would you like to expand on that one? Word became flesh and made his dwelling upon among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father who has made him known. It's it's a wonderful passage of Scripture. uh, When I reflect on this, we have seen his glory 
have we truly seen his glory? He's, that the glory of the Father was muted on account of that Christ took on the garb of humanity because we could never stand in the presence of the glory of God. But how was that glory revealed? It was revealed for grace, truth, and love. I love that passage of Scripture because in our current human form, we can never observe the glory of God. Uh, we would not survive in his presence, but he revealed the Father's love and grace in a way that was so tangible and, and understandable by us that uh, it gave us a wonderful insight into the character of God. Thank you, Mark. Is, is there anything else, panel, we can see here? It's interesting, Ken, that in those texts that Merrick read, uh, verse 17 says, For the law was given through Moses. And then there seems to be a contrast, because John then writes, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, I believe that the Ten Commandments are a revelation of God's character, but there is a more complete revelation through Jesus. The law reveals the rights and wrongs, but Jesus reveals God's grace and truth. Brenton? Uh, just interestingly enough, in uh, the latter part of verse 15 is a very, very significant statement that Marek has read, and it says this, and it's John testifying, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. This attests without any uh, shadow of contradiction that Christ was pre-existent. just wanted to um, draw our attention to, we've talked about how the Father and the Son you know, the express image, they are one. And um, the wonderful thing is that they invite us, Christ invites, invites us to share in this bond of unity, in this oneness with him and the Father, which is like unthinkable. If we, I mean, it's okay for us in this time, but if we go back into that time in the mindset, in what people believe, this was unthinkable that we could share in a relationship with our God. This is a time when people were afraid of their gods. And this is a huge revelation. God is revealing his character. And I guess some of this has been touched on. He's not wow, uh, wowing us with his power, even though he is omnipotent, but his glory and his beauty of character and his love and how he cares for his creation. So this is something, if this doesn't warm the heart, I don't know what else could. This is just um, a beautiful thought. Can I just add um, to what you've said, Joe? Thank you for that comment. I believe God has given us the opportunity uh, right from the get-go, so to speak. You remember when he talked about let us make man in our image after our likeness, he introduced the um, subject of marriage. Now, the relationship between husband and wife is described in the Old Testament as one flesh. And Paul uses the same illustration in Ephesians chapter 5. So I believe all along God has desired to give, shall we say, a living example of that oneness that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have with one another and with us. He has desired to show us a living, a human example of what that is meant to be. And a great marriage, I believe, is an evidence to the world of exactly what you've been talking about, Joe. 
I uh, absolutely, Brenton. Um, I think that that knowledge was definitely from there from the beginning. This was God's intention right from the start, but that that was lost through time. And even God's people, His own people, who had all that information in the Torah, in the writings of the prophets, and verbal tradition, they lost that information too. And so it was wonderful that Christ came, like as has been mentioned, and. All this has been revealed, has been brought to the surface and allowed to shine yet again. Even though God's intention was there all the time, it got darkened, it got lost, it got forgotten. Yes. Paul was writing from prison to the church at Philippi. What was on Paul's heart at this time? Joe, you want to look into this one for us? The next point comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and we've just been talking about that, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. This is a very tall order, isn't it? It's asking us to put aside our egos. And clearly this was an issue perhaps in the Philippian church because the letter, this is an epistle to the Philippians, and um, perhaps there were issues there. People were unhappy with certain things and there was some grumbling, disgruntled members people seeking position and being important, full of their own self-importance. And their motivations weren't for edifying others, but for getting, you know, appreciated, being noticed, being admired. Um, And this is something that can very easily creep in by stealth. So, yeah, I think this was obviously a little problem that they had and they needed to deal with. And this was very close to Paul's heart because if anyone could boast, it was him that's what he told us um so i think it's something that we need to keep in mind wherever we are whether it's at work at home church again reminding that uh, we are talking today about jesus the master teacher and as we talked about uh, the glory of god revealed through jesus christ in many aspects even the people of the day they expected to see in the Messiah the glory of God in a different way. They wanted to see God, who is the one who will take control of what they thought is important for their life. They uh, wanted to see God as an amazing uh, manifestation into the world. And they came to see Jesus Christ, a humble person, born in a stable, And all those things added up towards their unbelief towards Messiah. What I get here is that when Jesus came to reveal God, he came to reveal God in a different way. As you uh, pointed out here, Joe, in Philippians, that we may be those people less selfish, less arrogant, less full of ourselves, but being humble, being uh, 
servants to each other, understanding each other, because that's exactly who God is, long-suffering father, long-suffering God, uh, a God who cares about us in all aspects, even though we don't deserve. And that's why Jesus is the master teacher, because as we alluded in previous programs, Jesus' method alone was to socialize with people, to sympathize with people, to serve people in order to bind them, come, follow me. How important is that? Because we, when we talked about a teacher, we would like to see uh, their credentials, most abilities of being superior to other people. But here is the contrast yes. that Jesus, even though he's the most superior teacher, he was humble. He was willing to be the servant. He died for us all. How important is to learn this lesson for the master? Thank you, Nick. We've got a number of hands flying up here at the minute, but we'll go to Liam first. Okay, well, I've heard this statement, don't do what I do, do what I say. Well, Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus lived what he taught. And I believe that's the same for us as Christians. We must live what we believe, not do one thing and um, let people see another. Jesus was genuine. Teaching is not just in giving words. It's in giving an example. And Jesus was our perfect example. I think if uh, I think the important verse here is also to link with that is verse 6 where it says, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and so forth. He humbled himself. I think, Nick, you mentioned that. I just wanted to draw our attention that perhaps the important verses after that link up with the master teacher where he taught us by example, you know, the humility that he humbled himself even unto death, emptied himself. Thank you, Brenton. Joe's probably covered largely what I was going to say, but the the term being in verse 6 is present tense. What it suggests is that whilst Christ became a man, he also retained his divinity. The other point in that verse that Joe read, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. It would be robbery to be equal with God were he not God in the first place. The other point is this section, it's known as the Song of Christ. It's rather interesting, actually, as you study it. It is so deep. When I started looking at it this morning, I thought, wow, What it's talking about, notice what's missing from it rather than actually what's in it. There is no mention of the atonement. There is no mention of the love of God. This section that Paul has written is totally about the self-abnegation or self-lowering that the Son of God did in going down from the level of being equal with the Father to a position of a slave. And... um, It blows your mind to read this section because Paul is saying, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to follow God, you have to be willing to do what he did. And I think, Joe, you covered it pretty well in what you said. But honestly, you could almost say this is a hard saying to quote the disciples who can hear it. But I believe through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have that sense of self-loathing, as it were, 
um, not self-loathing in the sense of we don't uh, like ourselves or anything, but esteeming others better than ourselves because we have the perfect example before us of Jesus who went from a position of equality with God to, in the end, doulos, the Greek word doulos, a slave. And uh, if he's our example, uh, that's uh, where we need to be. There's some very good information there. Human relationships all too often break down. We become estranged from one another. The person who was once our closest friend becomes, over time, someone we distrust. However, such a broken relationship can be mended. When this happens, we experience the wonder of reconciliation. Few human experiences are as sweet as this. But how does reconciliation lie in the heart of Christ as role of master teacher? Bill, would you like to expand on this? Yes, the master teacher certainly not only teaches um, visceral or um, head knowledge, but the all-round uh, development of character and of nature. And Second um, <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 5, uh, from verse 16 onwards, says, uh, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I'd like to emphasize that while he reconciled, he reconciled himself, uh, or us to himself, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19 goes on to say, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. You know, what I read here, Ken, is, is that we can learn much from the reconciliation that God, that Jesus has done for us. We can learn to reconcile with our fellow man, our friends and the people around us by forgiving and treating them uh, in the same way God has treated us. Yes. Very true. Well, thank you. Len, you wanted to add to that? In the beginning, when God created the world, in the cool of the evening, he used to walk and talk with Adam and Eve. Sin came in, and there was a great big divide between God and man. I have a mental picture of this deep chasm one side is God, and on the other side is man. Jesus is the bridge to bring man back to God. And the, the work of Jesus was a ministry of reconciliation, bringing man back to God. What other things is Paul telling us here in this scripture? If I could add the, here, Ken, um, one thing. In the context of uh, this Bible study, Jesus as the master teacher. Teacher for what? Teacher for whom? Teacher for us all, because we live in 21st century. A lot of us, lots of people have a great deal of knowledge 
about God in one way or the other. And we still live towards each other with um, oppositions, contradictions, misunderstanding, and we haven't learned that most important principle to be a new creation in Jesus Christ. People are talking about um, unity, but not unity in the teachings of Jesus Christ, but unity for the sake of uh, setting aside differences. When you talk about unity, you have to understand the teachings of the Master, Jesus Christ. And that's the lesson for me today, that I need to be a new creation. I need to be a new person. I need to be someone who will apply, as Len mentioned a bit earlier, what we know, what I learn, and even what I teach. Brenton? Just quickly, um, Ken, what Nick has said is quite true. Um, The Ministry of Reconciliation, however, involves, I believe, two facets. Nick has touched on the first one, so I won't comment on that. That's new creation. But the second one is the ministry or, or the message of reconciliation removes the hostility towards God and replaces it with peace with God. Now, you find in Paul's epistles a number of times, he talks about how Christ broke down that barrier and how Christ has reconciled us to God. Now, isn't it wonderful that we faulty human beings have actually been given that message. We've been given that message to give to people that you can be reconciled to God. Here's another important point in regard to reconciliation. If Christ was not God, he couldn't act as a reconciler because a reconciler has to be on an equal level with the, um, so that he can see both parties' point of view, but he has to be on an equal level with the person that the others are being reconciled to. I think it's wonderful. Um, one of my very favourite texts is the, the last one, which Will, I don't think, touched on that much. God has made him to be, who had no sin, to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a wonderful text. Uh, Ken, that should be on a level in my mind with John 3.16. In terms of the Ministry of Reconciliation, its implications are universal. I love the text from Colossians chapter 1, Verse 19, it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things are on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It's amazing that that ministry of reconciliation has universal implications that go way, way beyond his ministry on earth. The the Master Teacher's First Pupils, please, Sarah, you're going to read a passage from us regarding his first pupils. Yes, the first Master's Teacher's Pupils, we can find that that they are the angels. We can read this um, in Luke um, chapter 2, verse 8. It says that the angels approached the shepherds that they were living uh, uh, out in the field nearby and um, the angels brought them the good news of uh, Jesus' birth. And as they were talking to the shepherds, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels praising God. 
So they were the angels, the shepherds, and also the wise men. When the wise men heard the news from angels, they just uh, went and find the way, uh, being guided by the star to find Jesus. So one moment, they are a band of ordinary shepherds caring for an average flock of sheep outside of a small town. And in the next moment, they are the recipients of an amazing appearance of angels who bear startling, wondrous, world-shattering news. Motivated by that appearance, they seek out the child whom the angels announced. We must admire the first pupils of the master teacher, Joseph and Mary and the shepherds. The humble conditions of Jesus' birth give no indication of the wonder of the incarnation that in the person of this infant, God has become one with humankind. However, with the aid of visions, dreams, the angels, those first students of his are able to look beyond the outward appearance of Jesus' birth. The shepherds share with others the identity of this infant, that he is a savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. Thank you. It's amazing to think that Jesus, the son of the living God, left a paradise we cannot begin to imagine to come to this earth with all its problems and sinful nature of man to tell people the good news about God and to reconcile them to the Father. Also, he came as an ordinary man, no pomp, no palace to live in, no servants, just followers. What does this show us and tell us about Jesus and God? God chose two poverty-affected parents to bring into this world his son. When Simeon saw these two people bringing the humble offering of two doves, their clothing probably reflect origins. When you see Simeon, a very elderly priest, take this little baby into his hands, a very elderly man there who looked with hope to the coming of the Messiah, is is another when you see the elderly woman of Anna, the prophetess, come forward and testify that this was the Messiah. God used some incredibly interesting means. Shepherds, poverty-affected parents, two elderly people serving in the in the temple. These were individuals who were responsive to his spirit, and through them God worked mightily. And it says that Mary kept all these things to, in her heart because she was so impressed in the way that God would use this little baby to, to reach out uh, to the world, um, you know, the Messiah. Thank you, Mary. I think, Len, you wanted to say something? Well, I say God is infinite. God has no limits, apart from the fact that God can never lie, because if he lies, he's not God anymore. But God went to infinite trouble, extreme, took extreme measures in order to reconcile mankind to himself and also to demonstrate his own nature. Elaine, I think time is getting away from us, and we could look at many, many other things, but we may just look at uh, some of the attributes or, of Jesus. Would we, Emma, would you like to run through just some of the attributes of Jesus? Maybe starting with you, Elaine? 
Yeah, Ken, just before we go uh, through that, because uh, we talked about uh, the um, humbleness of uh, Jesus and uh, even the way Jesus was born and all those things. One thing which I learned today is that he didn't come like in a very pompous way, even though he came as a baby born in a stable. Those Shepherds, which we mentioned before, they came and worshipped him. Those wise men coming from far away, they came and worshipped him. What's important here? Important is that through God and to worship God, we don't need always to see those extreme manifestations to be able to worship him. We need to understand God in who he is. He is love, and I believe in the next few passages there, we'll uh, find out some of those attributes of God. And if those attributes of God can be reflected in our character, then we learn a lesson from the Master. Very true. Will you want to add to that? You know, Ken, I'm always amazed by the amazing uh, condescension of Jesus Christ coming down as a a, a being God to become a human being. If you think about it, if he brought with him just a little bit of his omniscience, his all knowledge, and a little bit of his omnipotence, and used that to do to dazzle the people of his time, especially the leaders. Can you imagine Jesus approaching the learned leaders of the day and using his, not only his knowledge, uh, but his foreknowledge uh, and, and dazzling them, confounding them with magnificent scientific effects? Uh, that would have certainly placed him on the world stage. Jesus doesn't choose that. He chooses rather to be a humble and uh, proper teacher, uh, teaching people of the ways of God, not using all of the other dazzling means. That's amazing. That's an amazing sacrifice, I believe, which takes a lot of uh, a lot of patience. Yes, that's very true. And as we said before, it's amazing that he left the throne of God to come down to us. Joe, you wanted to add to that? Yes, I guess if Jesus did do wonderful things and was very ostentatious and flamboyant and spectacular, he would probably have many more followers. But did he want those kinds of followers? Did he? Would people be tempted to follow him for the wrong reasons? And so he wanted genuine followers he wanted it he didn't want to make it hard to follow him but he wanted people to be authentic and his followers to be authentic rather than to be drawn to the spectacular and the dramatic and um, theatrical even so i guess sometimes uh, as humans we are drawn to the glittery to the bling bling but jesus wants us to be authentic and um he shows us the way Thank you, Joe. Well, I think we're just about almost out of time, but I'll very quickly just run through some of the attributes of Jesus. He was compassionate, a servant, 
He was very loving, very forgiving. He was committed to do the Father's work, always prayerful, gentle, lots of patience, as we've heard, self-control, and a very humble person coming from the throne of God into this terrible world. Even back then, it was a terrible world. Jesus was so humble and thought of everyone else but himself. Then you wanted to add something to Dan Brenton? Uh, yes. And Jesus has, is perceived by some as being a very good teacher. He's often referred to as the great teacher. Some of his teachings are quite different than the teachings of other uh, philosophers and great teachers. But the thing that really impresses me, that Jesus was compassionate. We read in the Bible from Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, I need compassion. If people don't have any compassion towards me, I'm going to be a very miserable person. And I believe that we as the followers of the Lord need that attribute too. We need to be able to sympathise with people when they have problems and troubles and lose loved ones and so on. If we are hard and uncaring, the message that we would like to give to the people will not be received. Uh, just quickly on um, back to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8, it used the word I mentioned earlier on, morpho, in the form of. Christ was very God in nature. He came to this earth. You contrast that with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. What you've got here, uh, Ken, just summarising it, and I think it's absolutely grand. Here is the creator lowering himself to a level below that of the created. I think that's wonderful. Thank you. Nick? Yes, I just wanted to uh, add also the fact that as we learn about Jesus, the master teacher, what a teacher wants from his teachings, somebody to follow, somebody to be um, a disciple, if you like. And Jesus was the one who nurtured and grow disciples. He was not the one to impress multitudes of people. He was not the one to gather necessarily big, big crowds, even though it happened. But his attention was to nurture and to grow disciples. And we are those ones called today to be his disciples. A disciple is someone who watches his master and do everything what he's teaching. And this is the lesson for us today to apply in our life and not to be driven only by the teachings of men or the ideology and theories of men, but to really understand the principles and the teaching of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Nick. That's so true. It's not a question of do as I say, but it's also do as I do. 
because that's one of the main things today of being a Christian. Uh, not only do we think the thoughts of Jesus, but we act the way Jesus would have acted towards other people. The world doesn't need more role models. It needs more of Jesus, the ultimate role model. People will not find a better person to emulate positive character traits other than Jesus Christ himself. I'd like to thank the panel today, and I'm going to ask Joe to finish with the word of prayer. Certainly. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to open it and to study it and to gain insight. We thank you for your blessings of today. Um, We also thank you for Jesus, the greatest gift, um, the gift of yourself. Please be our constant companion in life and may you continually, may we continually feel your presence as we go about our every day and be sure that you are with us. Help us to humbly follow you and to trust you. Be our master teacher always. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So thank you very much, everyone, for uh, your uh, input today. Uh, this uh, topic is not the one to be easily finished in in one session. And I'll invite you for uh, next week when we are talking about more lessons from the master teacher. Until then, may God richly bless you. And don't forget, keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.